Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's it'll fine. be fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 128 of the Corona Diaries. Hey! Hey! <laughs> and we've just had, for the first time ever, we've stopped and started again because you didn't think you'd start recording. Well, I know I hadn't. But then neither had I. No, so neither of us were recording. We were just basically having a chat. We're having a chat. <laughs> With the world not listening. I don't know what would have happened if we'd carried on for an hour and then both simultaneously gone oh fuck yeah no that would have been that would have been a bit of a uh, there goes an hour of my life i'll never get back never get back or, yeah. or record yeah yeah and we both would have felt like that wouldn't we yeah yeah that's how we feel about our chats we both feel <laughs> there's an hour of our life we won't get back <laughs> no no Anthony, no, no. we were we were pleasure. riffing on 50p Yes, we were riffing on 50p. Riffing I, on 50p. I, um, I was trying to get a reduction in your invoice. Yes, you were. And we, were uh, we were we were settling around 50p, uh, and then yeah. we got distracted. Yes, which would be a 10% reduction in my invoice cost, <laughs> folks. Uh, that's how it works. That's how it works uh, when you deal with rock royalty. Oh. Um, um, <laughs> um, but then I happen to say to you, you've used 50p in a lyric. Yeah, I no recollection of that. Well, the and it all ties in a little bit with what we've been talking about for a few weeks anyway, but the holiday in Eden, um the first kind of deluxe edition that came out, which was the EMI one that came out in the I think they came out in the early or mid nineties, I think. I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure about the date. But Blimey. there was an outtake. There was something that had a that potentially could have been the end of this town maybe or i don't know it, it was something and it referenced a fairground at the seaside yeah I, th- I think i think that had something to do with john with john h right i, I think he'd got we'd got like a, a haunted fairground lyric um that was sort of inspired by that that book something wicked this way comes which is about a haunted fairground it's some American author whose name escapes me. Um, and Very Scooby Doo, isn't it? It is a bit Scooby Doo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, fortunately, we didn't use it, so uh, we we can't be um, we can't be paralleled with Scooby Doo. Not certainly not 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 from that. Maybe back then you didn't want to be paralleled with Scooby Doo, but I'd take that now. Would you? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Scooby Doo. Yeah. What's the, what's that bus that they all drive about in called? The mystery machine. Oh man, you God, Ant, you've got to get a life, mate. Anyway, I've got kids. Oh yeah, that's all right then. You've Which is kids. what I'm blaming, even though yeah. neither <laughs> watch Scooby Doo. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm saying <laughs> no, nothing. You had this. You get your thrills and spills for fifty p. 
line. Ah, I was taken straight there. Spells for fifty p. Not bad for fifty p. Not bad for fifty p at all. No. Not bad for fifty p at all. Um, it's going to be a slightly. It's going to be one of those slightly weird episodes today, where we do a bit and then you read a bit, then we do a bit and then you read a bit. Um, so it is going to be far more of you than me this week, which which is a good reason to ask for a, an invoice discount. To be fair, <laughs> um, be, because there's a lot of a lot of Portugal to wedge in, isn't there? Apparently, yeah. Before the end of the year, uh, yes. I mean, this was all your idea, and at this time in the morning, I haven't got the energy to either think or argue or, or, so, or disagree. It's a good exactly. job we don't talk in the afternoons. Yeah, then I'd have a bit more of a bit more headroom. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason I don't talk to you in an afternoon. There'd be a bit more water in the system by then. I tend to wait anything after four, and you've normally had a libation or two, so it's a little bit. <laughs> it's a little bit easier to chat. I think it's quite interesting to compare somebody's head to a toilet system, in a way, you know, filling up slowly during the day. To the point where you can get a decent flush out of it by sort of right. tea time, right? Yeah, but what? It, what's the flush then? Is that some form of hissy fit? That's no, that's just the great rush of thought. Oh right, that's right. the you know, like writing a song. You know, you pull the chain, right, and see what comes out. Yeah, it starts off in the morning, and slowly it gets <laughs> filled with shit through the day. It's filling up. Yeah. Fill it up slowly. Fresh water, not shit, not shit. Right. That's the other end. Right. That's the that's the the soil pipe you're thinking of. I'm on. Oh, the, right. I'm on right. the system. Right. And I was just thinking about your soil pipe. I'm, I'm on the high level system as well. I'm not on one of those ones that's fastened on the, the pan. I'm on about. Oh, you one of the 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 yeah the proper ones. I'm on about the old up in the air one. Yeah. 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 That, where you could, you could you could. Hide a few grams of cocaine quite comfortably. That's my head, that is, Anthony. <laughs> I'm now thinking of you as a toilet. <laughs> well, it's just, just all wrong. It's well, just at, all at the wrong. moment, there's only a bit of a quarter of an inch of sludge in the bottom because it's quite early in the morning. But it, it is, it's trickling slowly in. Right, OK. Tri- trickle down. Yeah. Right. It's trickling in and then down. Hopefully in a great rush. Right. We should leave that one there, I think. I don't yeah. think we should yeah, proceed. I, yeah, we've I've, that's gone as far as it's going Yeah, as a notion. Well, uh, and because this is going to be a slight pornographer's episode anyway. I mean, oh, we no. mentioned, I think it was last week, or before we mentioned we, you know, we weren't living up to our moniker. <laughs> um, but I've just read the diary. Um you know, and you're you're out there on your own. We, by the way, yeah. on the back of that video clip you sent me. Oh, that was a good one, wasn't it? That's very good. Yeah, about the baby photographer. Yeah, that yeah. was very very funny. Uh, Did you uh, ever used to um, listen to Terry Wogan? Artificially seven eight women. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did I ever used to watch? Listen to Terry Wogan when he used to do the Janet and John stories. No. Right, because no, that's no, exactly no. what they used to be. Oh, did he used to do those? He would used to do those, and he and they used to. You'd have thirty seconds, fifteen, twenty seconds of just the studio laughing because they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't control themselves. So if you switched on at the wrong point in time, all you got on Radio Two for like fifteen, twenty seconds was just them sniggering. Right. Oh, that's they, right up our street, really. Oh yeah, they? they had a good pun. If anything, I feel like we're channel we're channeling a bit of Terry um, in this actually. Terry W. 
Yeah. Well, I've told you what I remembered about him. You have, but I've forgotten since you said it. Chocolate Fountain. Chocolate Fountain, yes, yes. Wandering down the... Was that your only ever interaction with Terry Wogan? It was, yeah. I never actually uh, was interviewed by him or spoke to him. I think the band were in the old days when they were pop stars. Uh, they were they were on Wogan. Um, I remember Mosley saying he was one of those people who, who wa- walked into the building looking like he'd slept at a skip um, and looking about 105 years old. And then went into makeup and came out looking incredibly glamorous and like Terry Wogan. Like Terry Wogan. There was a complete transformation. Um, on, on, on camera, he looked about 30 years younger than he did off camera, which is what you want, really. Yeah. Um, I tend to go the other way. I'm leaving that one. I've just, <laughs> I just gave that one its own space. <laughs> Just gave it its own space. Yeah, but the only time I encountered Terry was in the corridor at the BBC and he was carrying an enormous chocolate fountain yeah. in a box. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's fine. I think leave that. I think that's yeah. how I want to remember Terry, if mm-hmm. I'm being honest. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, 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 we're going to talk a lot about Portugal. You're going to talk a lot about Portugal. Mm. Um, because you ended up hanging around for a few days after that natural show, which obviously we finished last week and seemed to go really, really well. Yeah, my memories of it were that it was quite difficult. It was quite a difficult show because of of all of the um, prevaricating um, during the day. They couldn't decide where to put the stage. Then they decided they hadn't got enough stage. Then I told them they had. Then they ordered another stage anyway. Uh, then this, I think it took them all day to get the PA going. And then when they got the PA going, they realised they hadn't uh, they hadn't got a piano still for me. They got not they got nothing for me to sit on. So we had to go and get a piano still. And then when Roderick turned the PA on. The there was so much thumping coming off the back of the bass bins with every every key on the piano that I touched, it would go. It wouldn't go ting. It would just go bonk like that. Um, and so I spent the whole show gingerly playing the piano and turning it down a bit and turning it down a bit, whilst Roderick out front, of course, was turning it up a bit and turning it up a bit. So the bunk sound never really got any quieter, no matter what I could do, <laughs> to the point where I was almost fearful to touch the keyboard at all because it just didn't sound like music. It sounded like somebody kicking a stable door. Um, so that was a struggle. And somebody did comment afterwards, you know, same old, same old. I'm sure a lot of people told me it was great. Um as I said, you know, the old fellow had tears in his eyes when he when he told me, you know, how much he'd enjoyed it, which was really moving. Um, but somebody, there's always that one, uh, someone came up and said, oh, I didn't think you played the piano very well. And that's, of course, what I took away from that show. But the reason I didn't play the piano very well was because it was terrifying me every time I touched it. I was trying to avoid playing it whilst playing it which and if you try and avoid an instrument whilst playing it you usually don't play it very well no 
So it was a bit of an odd one in the in this. That can be a problem with the H natural shows if if I'm a, a little bit too close to the PA, because all the bass frequencies come off the back of the PA, or you know, and uh, even if I've got headphones on or in ears in, I'm still getting this massive clunk uh, feeling every time I touch a key on the piano, and it's really off-putting. But you've got to try and zone it out and rise above it, but it's very difficult. Mm. But that doesn't have anything to do with the hollow stage then, does it? No, it's just that it's most PA cabinets do tend to radiate a lot of bass off the back of them. Mm. Um, So the, you know, the furthest away you can get the bass bins, the better. Um, It's the same when you're singing. It's much harder to pitch if you've got a lot of... uh, bass emanating off the back of the PA, especially, I mean, sometimes, God forbid, and it does happen occasionally, especially in America, they put the sub-bass, the sub-bass drivers under the stage yeah, to get them out of the way. But, of course, if you're standing on a stage trying to pitch and and you've got all of this... underneath you and coming up your legs and rattling your knees um it's it it makes it extremely it's it makes it sound like every note you sing isn't isn't quite in tune and you spend the whole night fighting fighting your own pitch trying trying to get it in and it never sounds in uh so i hate performing on stages with sub bass bins underneath because bass is omnidirectional, isn't it? It doesn't. It's, unlike a, a normal speaker, or when you're talking about high frequencies, they tend to travel in the direction you point the speaker, don't they? So they tend they tend to go out front. Yeah. Whereas um, bass tends to it also hang tends around. to rattle the structures as well. You know, it'll rattle the walls, it'll rattle the stage, it'll emanate. You know, that's why if you if you walk past the disco. With all the doors shut, you don't hear. Tss, 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 you just hear because that's the bass, um, and that travels much much further than the treble. And of course, to create bass frequencies, you need a lot more energy anyway. So, if you've got a big power amplifier running a PA, the majority of the power will be will be dry, will be creating the bass frequencies. And only a fraction of the overall power will be anything above about, I don't know, 400 hertz will be costing almost nothing in terms of energy. It's all going into the bass. And, and, and therefore, and the reason for that is because to create bass, you've got to move the driver cones a long way, forwards and backwards, because the waves are very long. Stop me if you're nodding off. But... um sub bass um tends to be used on big pas or very posh sound systems just to create those areas of bass that you you can't really even hear you can just feel it Mm. so you'll feel it off a kick drum um you'll feel those transients through through the subs which is great with a big pa because it it, it it just improves the overall quality of the sound and makes it more real. But if you're a singer and you're stood on top of it, it's just hellish. You you almost need to be 
they almost need to put you in a little box and, and you need to be levitated about eight, ten feet above the ground, don't you? Yeah, or wear incredibly spongy stack heels. I could just have... Yeah, see, Slade had it all right, didn't they? Or, you know, or Kiss. Spongy stacks. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. No wonder Gene Simmons always looked fine on stage, because, you know... Well, when you say fine... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Slade Slade had it sorted. They had it going on. (laughs) I like the idea of you suspended about eight feet above the air in your own little perspex box. Well, not in a noose, then. No, no, uh, no, your own little kind of free-floating sort of, you know, uh, sealed environment. Yeah, I quite like the idea of that, Yeah, to be Not honest. just when you're on stage, either. Just, just <laughs> I'll have a word with Jens. <laughs> See what he can... That'd be really easy to light. He could do a lot of things with that. You could put lights inside the box. You could put lights inside the box, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You'd be pitch perfect. <laughs> if I could hear anything at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you'd be pitch perfect. You'd bugger if you want to piss, but you'd be pitch perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, you tend to be buggered anyway if you want to piss live. Yeah. yeah. You've got to hold it. Have you? Oh, well, I very rarely get that urge live to have a wee. Do you, you think get... that's because you sweat so much? You get You get the urge before you go on. The, right. the you know the classic there's even a term for it it's called a nervous i'm just going right. to go and have a nervous right. you know um sometimes you get the 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 urge for a pee because of the nerves but right. i find once i'm on once whatever happens to me when i go on stage um tends to cut that impulse off completely also, I, f- I feel no pain either so I think it's adrenaline related. I think you just things happen inside your body. I've I've occasionally said in the past that it would be an interesting university study. Um I don't know how you'd do it, but if you could if you could investigate the effects on a human being of um large amounts of adrenaline every twenty four hours you know, over, say, a three-month period, then you'd you'd be sort of um, creating the conditions inside that person that 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 has been part of my life for a great many years. And I'm convinced has a long-term effect, whether it's um, being sort of generally vague. Um, I'm sure it must do something to your senses over a period, you know, because adrenaline is an incredibly strong... I mean, Mm -hmm. they resuscitate people from near-death experiences with adrenaline. So it's it's serious shit. And um, when when you're a live performer, that's pulsing through your veins, you know, for a couple of hours daily, sometimes for weeks. I'm not sure it's necessarily good for you. Um, no, not for you. It'd be handy because you could probably just by touch resuscitate people in the street. (laughs) (laughs) You're like a walking EpiPen, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, I'd have to, you know, kiss with tongues, though, (laughs) for it to work. (laughs) You just didn't need to go there, did you? (laughs) I was just just applying logic, Anthony. (laughs) I think there's a term for that. If somebody passes out on the street and you 
and, and you decide that's the only way that you can help them. Pre necrophilia, I think, is yeah, what it's. Uh, yeah, well. Uh. <laughs> I like the idea more that you could just, you know, put your hand on somebody's shoulder and. Right, like Mr. Spock, and bring them yeah. back. Yes, yeah. yes, you yeah, could do that. That's a much more wholesome notion. Yeah. Somebody gets a stray peanut M&M in their, in their pack of normal M&Ms and you can just lay a hand on and just say, you're all right, you're all right, yeah. it's not a problem. Come, come back now, come back. Come back now, yeah. Yeah, I like that. You're kind of own, your own little superpower. <laughs> Should we go and have a bit of the first bit of, of Portuguese diary? Yes. Should, should we do that? Let's go to Portugal. Let's go to, to Portugal. Where, where, where were you bit. again? I don't know. I was in Praia de Mira. That's the one. Uh, which Praia means beach. And oh. de Mira must mean the place, you know, the place. So yes. it's de Mira. Beach at de Mira. The, the beach at de Mira. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's Praia, yeah. Plage, isn't it, in French? But in Portuguese, Praia. And Playa, I believe, Praia. in Spanish. Mira. Oh, Playa. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So there we are. Public information podcast um, in this. Let's go. Let's go to the beach, cats. Here I go. Sunday, 30th of July, Praia de Mira. Enjoyed a much-needed lie-in and didn't really stir until 12 o'clock. I called room service and asked for omelette and coffee. I was told that the kitchen was closed now, but they would, quote, see what they could do, unquote. Omelette duly arrived ten minutes later. I think I seem to have gained a bit of clout round here. Perhaps someone's had a word. We arranged to meet Edgar downstairs at 3.45 to go to the farm for late lunch. When I got to reception, the receptionist told me she'd been to my show and enjoyed it very much. Maybe she made the omelette. We hung around for Edgar, who arrived half an hour late, looking flustered and muttering about how the process of removing the piano from the club had become quite complicated. I didn't ask. Edgar drove us back to Zay's farm stroke paradise, where we had again been invited for lunch. We sat down in the huge kitchen stroke dining room once again, while Zay and his wife plied us with masses of seafood. The cockles fried in olive oil were just stellar, followed by, well, masses more food and washed down with unlimited gallons of wine and beer. I slowly cottoned on to the fact that the only way to stop Zay replenishing my glass was to leave it full. This took me until about 5pm though. Not having a show to contemplate today meant I could relax and enjoy the entire meal so much more than yesterday. The relief I felt at having got the solo show out of the way was such a wonderful contrast from the uncertainty and nervousness of its anticipation yesterday that I had almost entered a state of grace. Zay seems to have made his mind up about me since the gig last night and it would seem that he's decided I am family. When I first confirmed the show, Lynetta and I had planned to stay on for a few days afterwards and have a little holiday in Portugal. Zay has insisted that Lynetta and I check out of our hotel tomorrow and move into another of his houses in Praia de Mira. He seems to have a few. 
He has instructed his staff to go down there and stock the fridge, prepare the beds, etc., so that all will be ready tomorrow when we go over there. Unbelievable. He then asked us, via his son Zeze acting as interpreter, whether we had arranged a car. I explained that we would hire one tomorrow. He would have none of it. He took us to the garage and waved a hand towards the Merc and the Audi and said, Take your pick. He insisted that we decide which one we'd like to borrow, assured us that this was all legal in Portugal, where the insurance laws are different, and when we decided on the Audi TT, Julie gave us the keys. Later, Zay had to go out to work. He's a jeweller. I guess he must own quite a substantial business to be so wealthy. It was hard to quite get a grip on the exact nature of his work, as we don't speak the language, and everything had to be translated via Zeze or Edgar. Before he left to, quote, go to the office, unquote, he inquired as to Lynetta's ring size. He was away for a few hours, and when he returned in the evening, he laid out half a dozen gold rings in various designs and smilingly asked her to choose one. She chose one with a dolphin winding around it, and he duly told her it was hers. He would accept no payment. He has never asked or expected anything in return for all this generosity. I have the impression that the pleasure he feels in giving is reward enough. Monday, 31st of July, Praia de Mira. Up at 11.40 to pack hurriedly for the 12 o'clock checkout. Nearly forgot my silver necklace with the little Mayan girl on it, but Lynetta found it on the floor. I would have definitely lost it if I'd been on my own. That would have been a pisser. Checked out and paid for Roderick's rooms as well as ours. 660 euros. There goes the profits. Loaded the bags and the rice pudding, which Zay's wife insisted on us taking yesterday, into the Audi TT and drove into Praia de Mira. Stopped at the first restaurant and managed to order coffees and omelette. Admired the waitress's jokes. No, really. Which were of a plain local design. Creamy coloured earthenware with fine blue stripes. We both thought it would be nice to take one home. A jug, not a waitress. Edgar texted to say he would pay for the first two nights in the hotel for Roderick and I. That's great news. I'm back in profit then. Walked round to the beach, then decided to go back and move the car. Bought a towel, parked the car and bought Bacardi and Coke to get changed for the parking. Sat in the Salix Beach Bar for a couple of hours watching the sea and drinking slow Bacardi and Cokes. This is the life. Had a walk round the shops, nearly all selling beach and tourist crap. Tried to find a shop selling the kind of jugs we'd seen earlier, but nothing doing. There was one ceramic shop which was packed full of religious stuff, luminous Madonnas and pot Jesuses. Even if I was religious, I'd find this stuff pretty tacky. Walked back through the town, onto the beach and along the water's edge. This ain't the Mediterranean, it's the Atlantic, and you surely can tell. It's much wilder. Six-foot breakers roll in at unpredictable intervals. Occasionally, two or three waves combine and break over each other and the surf comes further up the beach, drenching the unprepared. I was unprepared. Removed my shoes, which were now full of seawater, and walked barefoot, heading south along the beach. We picked up a few shells to take home. 
returned up the beach. Easier said than done. The sand is very fine and you sink in as you walk. It pushes your toes apart, which is quite painful. There must be a knack to it. We experimented with different walking techniques. I settled on the heel-first method, which I found was less stressful on the toes, but makes you look like a complete lunatic. Settled down in another beach bar and ordered up lemon tea. Edgar was supposed to have called to arrange for us to pick up the keys to Zay's house, but we'd heard nothing. Texted and called him several times between 5.30 and 7pm to no avail. By 7 we were really in need of a place to call home. I called Alexis Crossland. Rob and Alexis are staying at Edgar's house at the moment and managed to get hold of her. They didn't know where Edgar had gone either. We decided to drive back to Edgar's house and meet up with Rob and Alexis there. We could always chill out at his place. Unfortunately, we couldn't remember exactly where it is. Oh well, we'll see. Climbed back into the car around 7.15 and took a wrong turn, which meant we had to go back through the one-way system round the town. As we turned back into town, my phone rang, and when I answered it, there was no one there. Perhaps Edgar was finally calling. It rang again as we turned another corner up a narrow street. I pressed the phone to my ear. We were moving very slowly, certainly no more than 20 miles an hour, so I had plenty of time to see a policeman waving at me from a bicycle he was riding along the street. He was gesturing me to park the car. Oh dear. He asked me to get out and then asked me for the papers for the car and my driving licence and ID. By some miracle, I had everything he wanted, but most of it was in the big orange suitcase in the boot of the Audi, so I had to get it out onto the street and start emptying it. I asked him what I'd done wrong, and he said it was because I was using the phone whilst driving. I tried to explain that I wasn't even talking to anyone, but he was one of those guys who was on a mission to do it all by the book. He said I must pay a fine of €120. He took my passport and driver's licence and told me to follow him back to the police station. Back at the police station, he went inside the building while I parked the car. As I walked into the station, I called Alexis to tell her I had now been arrested and was being fined at the police station, so if she could get hold of Edgar, well, that would be great. Inside, the policeman was busy filling in a form while Lynetta did her best to reason with him and to explain that I actually hadn't answered the phone and spoken to anyone. It was pointless trying. He just kept repeating that using the phone in Portugal is considered to be a very serious offence and that there are more deaths because of this than because of drink driving. Oh well. I saw no point in pissing him off. We must have looked to him like a rich couple in an Audi TT who wouldn't find a €120 fine too much of an inconvenience. He was doing his job and he clearly wasn't in the mood to let us off with a caution. Personally, I think he was a bit of a twat under the circumstances, but I wasn't going to share that with him. Edgar suddenly arrived looking flustered and tried to mitigate also. The cop finished filling in the form, I paid the fine and he gave me my paperwork back and told me we were free to go. I finally managed to get the keys to the house from Edgar and we returned to the house and showered. 
I suggested that we went to dinner with Rob and Alexis and Edgar, so we all went over to the restaurant above the Ego Bar. Dinner was great. After that, we went over to the MS Club where Zeze was hellbent on showing me some photographs of my gig, which had been taken by, quote, a professional photographer, unquote. I thought they were all pretty average, but I felt we certainly owed Zeze the courtesy of having a look. Said hello again to the staff of the MS Club, who were all very nice people, especially the barman who made us caipirinhas and even managed to find Lynetta's lost cardigan from Saturday. Was introduced to a young nephew of Zeze who looked like Jack Osborne, now quite famous just for being Ozzy's son since the reality show The Osbournes. It was his 21st birthday, so we all went upstairs to watch while he cut the cake and his mates all sang him the Portuguese version of Happy Birthday to You. Talked to a couple of boys who were musicians and seemed excited to be talking to me, one a guitarist and the other a bassoonist, before leaving the club. Popped round the corner for a last caipirinha in the Irish bar. After that, we followed Edgar in our new Audi TT over to our new house, a five-bedroom luxury home. Lynetta drove. I was too pissed. The house was on three floors and only down the road from the beach. We decided on a bedroom and marvelled at the contents of the fridge, now stuffed with ham, cheese, milk, beers, bread and everything we'd need for tomorrow's breakfast. It occurred to me that we were driving this man's car and living in his house without him seeing any form of identification or even having our phone numbers. We could have driven his TT back to England or anywhere else for all he knew. And all this from a man who only met us two days ago. What a shame the whole world can't function on such levels of trust. Thank you, Zay. If there's ever anything I can do for you, sir. And for the first time this episode, we're back. And we've decided the new legend that's been created of your favourite singer uh, accosting people uh, at street level uh, to to administer adrenaline. We're going to leave that one. We're yeah, going to move away from that. Yeah, I think we need we need never mention that again. Never mention that again. No. Um, you were planning on staying in Portugal anyway, weren't you? Yes, I think we'd planned to have uh, a few days together after it, and just groove around and drive around. Um, and if I'm guess if I'm getting all of this right in time, because uh, I'm I'm confessing I haven't quite re- I haven't read it yet while I'm talking right now. Um, was this when Zay lent us a car? Yeah, you you were lent a car, and he offered to he he wouldn't hear of you staying in a hotel. Uh, unreal. I mean, I've never known generosity like it. He had a house tucked tucked away across town, a very nice house. Which he said, oh, you can just have that. I went, oh, thanks. And, and oh, you're going to need something to drive. Go and choose a car. So I went in the garage and we had a look at the Merc and the Audi TT and we decided on the Audi TT and said, are you sure? And he went, oh, yeah, gave us the keys. And off we went. We moved into this very nice house, put his, uh, put his Audi TT in the drive and had a little holiday and just sort of grooved around. 
It was amazing. Which, of the few things that jumped out to me from the diary, um, and first off, we there's a pornographer's moment, which is great because <laughs> we, as I said before, we've been a bit light on pornographer's moments because you happened to, you've thrown a comment in there about a waitress and her jugs. Right. Well, um, I, yes, I do remember those. They were sort of cream cream with blue stripes. Cream with blue stripes. And very, very desirable. And In a uh, non-garish kind of way. No, not garish at all. No, no, really lovely. And undulating as well. Um, and I couldn't resist them. And I think, um, I think we bought, I'm pretty sure we bought, we bought a little one and a big one. And right. uh, they're still on the shelf at home, and I'll put them on Instagram for the avoidance of doubt. I think you should. I will. I'll take a picture later. So that so that was nice to have a, a slight pornographer's moment, which was uh, <laughs> we, we and we have been letting people down with that. So that was that that was good. The other thing that I, that made me smile was, and these are all throwaway lines, but you you parked up. Hmm. And you went and got a Bacardi and Coke to get some change for the car park. <laughs> Which seems a very a very Europe a very southern European thing to do. <laughs> well, you know, we needed some change. And we were on holiday. Um did I get stopped by the police at any point? Yeah, you did uh, yeah, get stopped by the police, yeah, yeah for talking yeah. on the phone. Well, or for not talking on the phone. That's having right. Having a phone in your hand. Yeah, the, that's right. The, the phone rang and I just picked it up to say I was driving and I couldn't talk. And and <laughs> the time it took me to say that. You got arrested. A policeman stopped us. <laughs> oh, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the conclusion you drew, which was... We were driving around in out two two posh people driving around in, or, or looking like posh people driving around in Audi, Audi TT. Mm. They can clearly afford the fine. It's that's that's a fair conclusion, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I could afford the fine, and I suppose I, I I was on the phone, so it it's you know you can't it's a fair cop, right? Society's so, uh, to blame, or, or whoever it was who rang me up, probably Niall. So, um, so at the point where you called that that policeman a bit of a twat, then you, you in hindsight perhaps that that was a bit harsh. Did I say that? Yeah. Oh, that is harsh. Yeah. 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 I mean, you were writing about it at the time, weren't you? So, my blood was up. Yeah, yeah my blood might have been up because they yeah. they it was a bit strange. He told us to follow him. He didn't stop us. He told right. us to follow him, and he drove to the police station, and we followed him to the police station. Whereupon we were ushered into the police station to do the paperwork and get fined, which is quite a civilized way of doing it, really, isn't it? Yeah. R- rather than embarrassing you at the side of the road. And I was trying to mention that I knew Zay and Zay Zay in the hope it might cut a bit of ice, but it didn't. No. Um, so they were either incorruptible or they didn't know Zay or I didn't manage to convey the whole notion of it to them in a sufficiently clear way for them to understand what I was trying to do, which is probably more likely. Anyway, they find us. And 
Uh, yeah, I probably called him a twat. But not to his face, obviously. No. I, I, I do like the idea of the fact that they were incorruptible. Yeah. I so, think that's quite, you know. So do I. Looking back, the whole thing was was fair. fair yes, it was a fair cop, and, was, he, and essentially he couldn't be bribed, or you never got that far to find out. No. No. So, well, I think we I think we're going to have to stand behind that as being the right outcome. We, we doff our cap to the good policeman of Portugal on this occasion, and, and and for the fact that he didn't need you to try a breathalyzer, which probably was a benefit as well. I doff my cap several times on that front. <laughs> <laughs> I just, do you know I, what? I, I, I wasn't is... pissed. Don't get me wrong. No, I, no, but I no. might have had a Bacardi and Coke. Yes, but just to get change. Yeah. Just to get change. Just to get I mean, change. the fact that I normally buy a pack of polos is <laughs> is irrelevant. Uh, um, you know, pack of polos, Bacardi and Coke. And it's not like free poor measures in Portugal are strong. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> the other bit I really liked was you moaning about the sand, how difficult it was to walk in the sand, because it was fine sand. It was difficult sand, that, actually. Yeah. You know, much more so than Mablethorpe. It, yeah. was, it, was, <laughs> it was difficult sand. They're all right, the Portuguese, but they do have difficult sand. You know that, that bit in Spinal Tap where Nigel Tufnell's moaning about the fact that he can't make a sandwich out of the bread because the bread's too small? Yes. And, and, and it it's always just, makes too... me think of Peter Travers because yes. that's exactly the kind of thing he'd say. And you look at it, and, and the manager's looking at him like, "Yo, what a what a knob!" And, and and I'm just listening, I'm listening to you, listening to you a little bit with, "Oh, and the sand! Don't get me started on the sand." Difficult sand. Difficult it sand. It was. Uh, you, you've got to go. You can laugh, but go. Right, go there. Right, I will. Anthony. I, I will, and um, I'll come back exactly the same thing. I it, know what you meant about that sand. What it is? It's that. There's a very definite kind of achiness between your toes you get in difficult sand, like a kind of toe cramp. And it's uh, now difficult sand, is it? That's it, what we're calling it. In, yeah. It's difficult you get, sand. You get a kind of achy toe cramp thing between right. your toes from the, you know, I guess you're using muscles that you nev- you, you'd never normally use and they don't like it. Right. That damn difficult sound. Mm. Right. Okay. Um, let's go and have the second bit. Right. Because <laughs> this is all a little bit surreal, if I'm being We've honest. We've done jugs and difficult sand during this section, folks. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know what we're going to get in the last bit. Let's, and, go, and, let's go and get the last bit. And fair of 2006, cut, got... actually, for you. Oh, yeah. Last bit, last bit of 2006. This is a, yes, this is as much as I managed to catalogue of 2006. Mm. Uh, difficult sand. Fair cops. Um, Here it comes. Tuesday, 1st of August, Praia de Mira. Up at 12.30 after the late night. Couldn't turn the oven on. No kettle. Decided to go out for coffee. Washed my shoes in the bidet and put them out to dry on one of the three balconies in the sun. 
decided to go exploring in the Audi. Drove back through Mira, keeping a wary eye out for coppers, and north through huge groves of maize and along a wide canal. The weather was strange, cloud at ground level, and the canal water seemed to be steaming like Florida Everglades. There were no alligators in evidence, though. Past girls in bikinis, sunbathing on the mud next to the canal. Arrived at a place called Costa Nova, where the buildings were painted in coloured and white stripes. We mooched round the market stalls. There was a fish market displaying live crabs and eels, octopus, prawns and various fish. We found a shop where we could buy a kettle, but decided against it. There was a store selling all kinds of Portuguese ceramics, so we bought two jugs, like the waitresses' ones I mentioned yesterday, in the typical local design. Walked along the street and found a cafe where we could sit outside. Lynetta put her jugs on the floor and I put my nuts on the table. How we laughed. Laughed more as we watched little old deer with bad leg trying to open all... (laughs) Try again. How we laughed. Laughed more as we watched little old deer with bad leg trying to open a stall opposite. I'm sorry. She was clearly too old to be working. She was running a little beach kiosk selling, well, crap. Inflatable moose, postcards, Portuguese flags and the kind of plastic stuff that rarely lasts more than a day. She had a stick with a hook on it and she was trying to hang her goods up high on other little hooks. It was going to take her all morning. I was reminded of Julie Walters' classic old waitress sketch. It took her several minutes to hang one corner of a Portuguese flag on a hook, which promptly fell off as she turned round. This sounds cruel, doesn't it? I'm sorry, you had to be there. If she'd been my own gran, it would still have been funny. We ate omelette and drank coffee before going over the road to buy something from aforementioned amusing old deer. Bought postcards and fabulous marbles. She garbled at us madly in Portuguese and I gave her too much money. While we walked away, she fumbled around trying to get her purse open whilst making funny high-pitched squeaking noises. If we'd have wanted change, it would have taken her the rest of the day. Bless. Took some photographs of the stripy buildings and walked between them to the sea. There was a terrible smell of sewage, providing significant evidence to consider broadening my theory about the link between the Spanish language and the smell of sewage. I may have to add Portuguese, but it's too early to conclude. Had a look at the sea and decided to return to the car and move on in search of Aveiro, the Venice of Portugal. Found it and had a walk around, poking our nose into a church, all faced with Portuguese tiles inside and out. Beautiful. Walked through the shops and found a body shop. Jeez, these are everywhere now. Dabbed myself with sandalwood and patchouli, which hung around in the car for the rest of the day. Walked along the canal and took photographs of the gondolas which were painted brightly with the kind of slightly unsound images which sailors tend to paint. 
One was of a man looking up a girl's dress as he held a ladder for her so that she could reach a bird's nest in the branch of a tree. I guess that sums up the sexes. Returned to the car and decided to drive south to find the Palace Hotel at Busaco. We'd heard about this yesterday from Robin Alexis. It's an old monastery halfway up a mountain, which has been converted into a five-star hotel. Stopped for gas and couldn't open the filler cap. It needs a key, and we didn't have it. Much head-scratching ensued as attendants came out one by one to have a look and then walk away shrugging. One of the windscreen wiper blades had also torn itself in half. Must be the sea air, so I bought a new one. Couldn't fit it and fiddled around for half an hour trying and failing to do it. Eventually I realised that the clips for the new wipers didn't fit the wiper arms of the Audi. The old clips that did fit the wiper arms wouldn't fit the new wiper blades, which were slightly different. Dope. Still had enough gas to get back home, so decided to return. Found another gas station where an old Portuguese woman spoke not only a little English, but was also smarter than me and managed to get the filler cap open. It wasn't locked, just stiff. Double dope. But hooray. Gassed up and returned to Plan A and set off for Busaco. Straight across five roundabouts, then right, said the brilliant gas station attendant. And she was right. If everyone in the world was like her, it would be a different planet entirely. No world poverty or famine, the trains would all run on time. It's a terrible shame she's not running TAP airlines. Arrived at Busaco and drove through a narrow gateway, where a friendly chap relieved us of a few euros before driving up the winding road, lined by huge redwood trees for ten minutes, until we arrived at what is now the Palace Hotel. Check out the website and read the guidebooks. It's amazing. I took photographs. We walked right round the place trying to gain access. Finally found a door which was closed but unlocked and it led us into the huge tiled and panelled reception. Had dinner on the terrace. Amazing. Having been a monastery, the place is built in ornate stonework like one of those Indian intricately carved ivory artworks on a grand scale, a cross between a Gothic church and some kind of wizard's dream. Our table overlooked the gardens, laid out in box-hedged squares, a style reminiscent of Elizabethan English gardens. Left to return to Mira around 10pm and managed to find our way back. When we got to Mira, we couldn't find the house, so drove around for another 30 minutes until Lynetta spotted it. A pleasant, touristy day. P.S. I guess 2006 turned out to be Portuguese, as far as the diary is concerned. And we're back for a final time. Way we were. Um, I've not read this little bit myself, so there's no point in talking about it. Oh, I wonder it's... if it's the bit where we've run out of petrol and I can't get the petrol cap open. Maybe... Oh, it probably is because we it... haven't had that bit so far. Yeah, because we'd borrowed the car, and it had a you know it had one of those petrol caps with a with a little keyhole on it, 
And then, of course, when I looked at the car keys, there wasn't a key for that. So I stood on the um, forecourt for a bit, scratching my head. And um, then I went inside the garage and asked the man if he if he spoke English and in, in sort of pidgin Portuguese tried to explain that I couldn't get the cap off the Audi TT while he gazed blankly back wondering what I was on about and offered very little help. And then, of course, I came back out after, after about 20 minutes of thinking, well, we're stuck, we can't gas up and... Uh, and we've run, we're going to run out of petrol. What are we gonna, what are we going to do? Um, it just opened anyway. It wasn't locked. I was just about to say, had you tried the petrol cap? No. Had you tried to no. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, eventually, I tried and it and and took it off and gas, gassed it up and put it back. Nice, nice. Loving your work. Mm. We didn't mention earlier on as well. I've completely forgotten, um, and and obviously we had difficult policemen and and difficult sand when really wanted easy policemen and easy sand. Mm. Um, but we didn't mention the the woman trying to set up the stall, <laughs> um, the old dear trying to set up the stall, who you were laughing at. Well, you know when you're sitting having a coffee sometimes. And you just clock somebody, and you know they give they give you extreme pleasure for the entire duration of the the process. She was one of those where Lynette and I just sat there giggling discreetly, watching this old dear trying to set this stall up, and she was hopeless. And it was obviously her stall, so it wasn't like she'd never done it before. But um, every aspect of the setting up of the little stall seemed seemed to 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 be near impossible for her she's got a little pole for putting the um you know when they've got all these postcards all in a on a display in a line on a display with a little hook at the top she was trying to just hook them over this other hook to hang them up and that took her about 15 minutes and they kept falling off the end of her little pole while we giggled uh discreetly um, it was it was comedy gold anyway. Mm. You'd you'd have had to have been there. And you did reference Julie Walters from that wonderful uh, <laughs> two soups sketch it, on it Victoria was, Wood. It was ex- entirely similar to that. Yeah, uh, which, which gives us a bit of a flavour. I feel everybody out there is probably not judging you on this, but might be judging Lynetta a little bit. Ooh. Why? Because I feel I feel like most people would expect that kind of behaviour <laughs> from me, from you, <laughs> but probably a little bit surprised. You know, at the well, letter. she has got a devilish side to her. I don't mind telling you. Um, I don't think I've dampened it down much right. since we've been together. I think I may have kindled it somewhat. I would but, have expected you to have dampened it down. <laughs> no, I've no. not dampened it down. I've encouraged any kind of naughtiness or nastiness um at every at every stage um and some sometimes i encourage her to the point where she hates herself um but it's usually my fault to be fair no she's very good she's she's uh she was born to take the piss my girl she's uh she's she's an absolute um star asset she takes the piss out of me mercilessly mm. 
flies to you. <laughs> well, yes, I do, and I do feel a little bit guilty, but it it passes. Yeah, no, I think there's I think there's something about me. The, the, there is, there is. You have a little bit of, uh, yeah, sort of free game about you. Harsh, really, actually. I mean, it is harsh. There's never, no reason to do it. Such a... Well, no, I, I, I kind of take it as a sign of affection from a lot of people. Oh, well, that's all right, then. You don't take the piss out of people you despise. No, you don't whole. tend to. You don't tend to. No. You're right. Go on, then. We'll go with that. Little mm. sign of affection. Little sign um, of affection. The diary brings us to the end of 2006, so we'll go to 2007 next week, uh, which is which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, just to wrap up something from last week, oh. the you did play um, You Don't Need Anyone, and you played it at Port Zealand. I think it was 2007, and it ended up being on an, um, a couple of albums called uh, Family and Friends. Oh. Well, I saw somebody sent me a YouTube link and I had a look, actually. And, and I think uh, that's the only time. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, really. I thought right. it sounded great. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. How short was Pete's hair? Yeah, yeah. I liked his hair like that when he had the short hair. Um, at one point, he had quite a cool sort of Paul Wellerish, Jeff Beckish kind of haircut, which I thought was really good. But uh, he hasn't had that for a while, and I don't want to tell him how to cut his hair because no, you know, at the end of the day, he should have it how the hell he wants it. Yeah, what do I know? I've had some humdingers of haircuts over the years, so I'm the I'm the last to talk. Mm. In fact, I've just had a haircut, and we went to the Crooked Billet the other day. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, we went there and to have a little chat with Tim Sidwell about season's end and hook end and playing at the Crooked Billet. And I realised halfway through the interview that I was back at the same haircut that I'd had when it all happened, having having gone through various stages of lengths and whatnot. I was back to almost the same one, um, which I thought was curious. Oh, and we saw Nick Davis who'd produced Season's End, and he hadn't changed. I mean, he's he's obviously aged a bit, but he hasn't really changed much. Um, He's still still a bit strange in the way that all recording engineers tend to be. Um, I think they just spend too long in padded rooms, to be honest, and they grow into them. Um, But it was nice to see Nick. He was wearing a very expensive watch, so he's obviously done quite well since he saw us. I think, I think probably Chris Neal of all the people I've come into contact with who do that job is probably the most normal. Is normal the right word for Chris? Yeah, no, yeah, he's he is a very straightforward chap, Chris. Um, I like him. I do like him. I mean, there is a, there is a slight oddness about him. I'll say in his defence. Oddness or filth? Which are we going with? <laughs> oh, there's bags of filth. Um, but he's very dry, Chris, isn't he? He's, 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 his humour is... He's, he's a dry character. Very funny, but dry as well. It was fun working with him. Because he didn't mess about. He knew, it, he knew exactly what he wanted, musically. Um, you know, he was working with a really good engineer 
who knew exactly how to give him exactly what he wanted. So he didn't mess about. He didn't faff around all day. Um, his ethos was decide what you want, bang it down, no messing, move on. Mm. Um, complete opposite to Trevor Horn, you know. Let's get 25 guitarists in and one at a time and stroke our beards for six months, decide which one we liked best. Um, but you can't argue with the records these guys have made. There's just different approaches to to the process, really. Trevor Horn's got a book out, I believe. Oh, yeah, he did mention that while I was in the back of a cab with him in the summer. He said he'd got a book coming out. Yeah, I saw it on the shelf the other day. Oh, kind well. of an A to Z, really, of of kind of his method. Really? And finally, just before we go, um, because I'm sure a lot of other people uh, are in the same space, but I, I, I booked my ticket for Port Zealand. Oh, have you yeah. now? Oh, I First lovely. one ever. Well, I've, somebody's probably booked mine. But, uh <laughs> Yeah, well, that's we're starting to think about that now in earnest. We, uh, I was on the phone to Ernest <laughs> for an hour yesterday. <laughs> oh, but, that was uh, that, that we, was so you literally that gag. It was it, it like had neon <laughs> around it that gag, and it and it approached at speed. <laughs> Eric Morgan. Oh, have, he'd have been, been over the moon with that. With that. Uh, but I, but we are we're starting to think about that in earnest and make plans make plans for the the size of my piano. <laughs> I put I put a requisition in for an octave and a half. I'm moving up. Well, that's all right because if you get an injured arm, you only need one arm for an octave and a half, don't you? Need one hand. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can I uh, yet again put in my request for you don't need anyone, please, when you start talking about? Oh, yeah, there's no no harm in asking. No, no. and I and I mean, and I'll take the release all day long as well. To be fair, and if okay. and if you're playing obscure things and you want to play Circular Ride, then I'll take that as well. Wow, you should write a long email to uh, to everybody in the band except me. Well, hang on a minute. You've told me that long emails um, don't work. In fact, it wasn't you. It was Lucy that told me that long emails don't work. No, because they glaze over after the first six words. You've got to make your point really early on. I've learned that. Yeah, right. Um, Well, that's it, folks, for 128. And um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, And we're already putting plans in for... Well, we've got a zero coming up, so we need to organise... If we're going to have somebody on to to chat, but there's 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 three in the in the possibles list, so it could be any one of three. Yes, well, I've um, I've I've got something on the boil at the moment for the maybe even for one two nine uh, next week, um, and uh, for one, I mean for one thirty, I mean there's yeah there's there's a few possibilities, but. Um, it might be nice to ask Mark after all this time because he's probably feeling left yeah. out if he if well if he's noticed which he probably hasn't but had he noticed he'd probably think you know don't want to speak to me then so I could ask him and then give him the um, pleasure of telling me to fuck off. <laughs> well, I mean, if he's going to do that, could you record it and then we could weave that in? 
<laughs> I, could, I could use it as a, as a ringtone. Um, no, I'm sure he won't. I'm sure he'd love to come on and have a rap. So maybe we could ask Mark Kay um, to get involved. But uh, but I think I think we've got some guests in we the have. offing, Anthony. I've got I've I've been reaching out. I've extended my tentacles. To be fair, in the message you sent to me, you mentioned a couple of names and that you're giving them a tug. <laughs> which, 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 which seems a little extreme, but if he gets them on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, can't expect people to do this shit for nothing. No, well, we should leave you. We should leave you to the rest of your day because you're still an early morning cistern, aren't you? I am. I've, so, I've, I've, I've barely filled up a, a, above the sludge just yet. That's going to be no, the episode just title. Lime. Barely filled up above the sludge. <laughs> just the lime scale and, <laughs> and all that difficult sand. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going to be talking next week? Then are you you'll you'll be in a different climb, won't you? I will be. I think I think we should do it on Tuesday next week. Right, and okay. uh, have we finished now, or are we still recording? Well, we're still going. Oh, we're we're still letting everybody in a little secret. Well, maybe Tuesday next week, and uh, because I'll have a day off in Eindhoven, the home of right. Phillips. So I can have me electric razor going in the background to provide atmos. And and a couple of toothbrushes buzzing away, um, because that's where I will be. Right, the home of Phillips. I went last time we played Eindhoven. We it's usually the Philharmonic we play, the big Philharmonic Hall. And I went on with a, I went on with me Phyllis shave, <laughs> having a shave, and nobody got the no one got the joke. Everybody no. just stared blankly back, and I thought, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. I I don't quite know what to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. You get it? <laughs> you get it? Well, there. <laughs> no, nothing. There we are. It fell flat on the day, and it's kind of fallen flat on the podcast. Um. <laughs> but I might do it again. Yes. I'll repurpose that content. <laughs> Just there go. He did that last time. I wonder what you'll it, get a cheer I this what time. It means. <laughs> We get this out, you'll get a cheer when you I'm, do that next time. I'm going to take my toothbrush as well this time, just yeah. to give them two terms of reference. The good people of Eindhoven and surrounding district, <laughs> prepare yourself, yes. and we want a decent round of applause for that. For the Philly shave and the Sonicare. Yeah. All before I sing Be Hard on Yourself. <laughs> I'll see you next week. <laughs> Toodaloo. the Victorian parks and all the frightened people running home before dark past the Saturday morning cinema lights crumbling to the ground and the piss-stinking shopping centre on the new side of town I've come to smell the seasons change and watch the city as the sun goes down again 
Here comes another winter of long shadows and high hopes. Here comes another winter waiting for utopia, waiting for hell to freeze over. This is a land where nothing changes A land of red buses and blue-blooded babies This is a land where pensioners are raped And the heart is being cut from the welfare state Let the poor drink the milk while the rich eat their honey Let the bums count their blessings while they count their money So many people can't express what's on their mind Nobody knows them, nobody ever will Until their backs are broken, their dreams are stolen They can't get what they need, then they're gonna get angry Well it ain't written in the papers, but it's written on the walls The way this country's divided to fall So now the cranes are moving on the skyline Gonna knock down this town But the stains on the heartland will never be removed From this country that's sick Sad and confused The ammunition's been passed And the Lord's been praised But the wars on the televisions Will never be explained All the bankers getting sweaty Beneath the white collars As the pound in our pockets Turns into a dollar This is the 51st state of the USA This is the 51st state of the USA Thank you, Stephanie Sanner Thank you, Alan McLeod Thank you, Matt, and not forgetting Alexandra Zabrowska. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.